When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, baby! Hey everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. Today's guest is one of the most legendary lyricists in the history of hip-hop. Jay-Z famously said, if skills could be sold lyrically, this is the man he would be. One of the most socially aware and politically insightful rappers ever to hold a mic, he's remained a fresh and relevant voice for more than 20 years. He's collaborated with some of the biggest names in the game, including Kanye West, Most Def, Pharrell Williams, Just Blaze, and many others. Internationally recognized for both his lyrical prowess and insane work ethic, he tours roughly 250 days a year and has put out not only an astonishing eight solo albums, but he's also created some of the most genre-defining collaborations of his generation, including Black Star with Most Def and Reflection Eternal with renowned rapper-producer High Tech. Not one to be beholden to anyone else, he also founded Javadi Media, a company built from the ground up to be a media powerhouse that fosters and promotes music, films, and books for not only himself, but other like-minded independent thinkers and doers. So please, help me in welcoming the man who is an integral part of the very fabric of hip-hop culture and artistry, the activist and intellectual monolith, Talib Kweli. Wow. Quite an hey. Well earned, I assure you. Man. Looking at where you sit in the pantheon of hip-hop is really extraordinary. And the fact that you've been doing it for so long with a voice that is not only unique, but incredibly truthful to who you are and, and what feels like to me where you want the world to go, I think is really, really interesting. And so, yeah, for sure, man. The, the thing that I am dying to ask is... Watching you create yourself and become somebody is, is amazing. How do you think about that act of becoming the person you want to be, the act of self-creation? Um, it seems like it feels to me in both your activism and your music that you're encouraging people to be a better version of themselves. And so how do you think about that? Um, I said, that's an interesting question. I um, try to visualize... Um, I don't know if that's visualization because visualization is seeing things that haven't happened yet. But I try to often put myself in the mind state of a younger me. And uh, 20 years ago, I just wanted to rap. I just wanted other rappers to be like, he's nice. That's really all it's about. Like when I read Jay-Z's book, um, he talks about how the raps led to everything. He's like, you know, I'm seen as a billionaire. I'm seen as a 
businessman and isn't it? But for me, it was all really about those bars, and and that's something that resonated with me. And then when I was hearing you run down the things I've done, I was like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> you know, like I was like that that the person you just described. I see myself sometimes as outside of that because I don't take stock of it. Um, I'm just trying to rap good, and the things, even my business moves, have been made so that I could be a better rapper. I had no intentions of owning a label. It's not my focus at all. But that's just the smartest, efficient way for me to be the best rapper I could be. It's really interesting to me that people like you, they meet that obstacle of the industry is not, um, it's not the way you want it to be for sure and maybe isn't allowing you to move in the way that you want to move. So rather than back off, which I think is, is the almost universal response to that obstacle, mm -hmm. is to create something yourself. Where'd you get that tenacity and the guts to say, well, fuck it, I'm going to do it my way? Well, one, for my parents, my parents are, are hard workers. I come from a very hardworking family and, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a conservative. I'm not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps guy. I understand how people are marginalized and why they're marginalized. I understand systems of oppression, but I also understand hard work and I understand the rewards of hard work. And I understand that the reason why I value hard work is because I was blessed to be born into a household that values hard work. Um, a lot of people just don't value hard work because they've never seen it. Um, that's not a judgment. That's just an observation. Um, and I just think, you know, it's the value of hard work and it's also being ambitious and just wanting this more than anybody. You know, I, I want, I can't think of anything else that I, I'd rather be, you know. Um, I ran into, just recently, I just ran into Diddy walking, I was, I was walking out of a party, he was walking into a party. And um, I was just like, man, this guy is always in the place to be. Um, he's never been the best rapper. He's never been a producer at all, but he can still do a tour. He could still go on tour and, 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 and perform bangers, perform hip hop classics that are in, in his catalog. Not because he's a great rapper, but because he wanted to be on that stage more than most people. Mm. So you're right, most people run the opposite direction. I try to run it towards the challenge. One thing that you've said that I think is really, really interesting, I think you were speaking about Young Yachty. You said you have to separate the moves from the, the performer. And I thought that was really interesting. What do you mean by that? Like, how can somebody move in a way that you respect, um, even if you're not into the music? Um, I don't know too much about Little Yachty. Um, you know, I like a couple of his songs. I don't know how his, how his business moves. I think what you're referring to, I've, I've said something similar, similar to that uh, about Soldier Boy, um, who, you know, this is a guy, and someone could correct me if I'm wrong when they see this, but, I, you know, for I think he came into the game sort of um, manipulating the system. There were music platforms where you, you know, you go and listen to Justin Timberlake, you click Justin Timberlake, you click 50 Cent, you get Soldier Boy. You know, Soldier Boy learned at a very young age, 15, 16, 16 years old, how to go viral in an era where going viral became the premium thing. Mm -hmm. And so even now, you got Soldier Boy out here talking about, he doing interviews talking about, I, I had the greatest 2018. And everybody's like, no you didn't. You know what I'm saying? But that doesn't matter. He's dealing with a post-truth. He's dealing with, it's not, whether or not what I'm saying is accurate is not important. Whether or not you click on 50 Cent and actually get 50 Cent is not important. I'm going viral regardless. You're going to be talking about me regardless. Um, to the point where he got other viral YouTube people wanting to fight him. You know what I'm saying? Just so they could go viral, you know? Um, 
that part of it, when this industry moved to a place where it's like, oh no, it's all about going viral, I look at the people like the Soldier Boys and I learn from them, whether I like their music or not. I mean, I look at artistry as a, as a fraternity. I look at it as we're all brothers and sisters in this together. I know how hard it is to write one good lyric. So if you can make one good song, I'm giving you all the props in the world. You don't gotta be the great, you don't have to be Rakim for me to give you respect. If you are creative, I like Soldier Boy, hop up out the bed. I like that song, you know what I'm saying? I like the video when he jumps out the bed, it's funny. Um, but yeah, I like the one he did with Drake, but I like the Jay-Z and Jay Electronica version better, we made it. Um, yeah, his music's not for me and it's not supposed to be for me. His music's for, for kids that are more his age. Um, what he was able to do in the business, I looked at that as inspiration for me as a legacy artist to say, well, how do young people move in this space where lyrics don't matter and uh, the label you on don't matter? Um, how do you get yourself heard? Because the onus is on me as an artist. The onus is not on the consumer. I could sit there and complain about how the radio's whack and how no one buys real shit, this and that. That's, that's, uh, that's meaningless, that's pointless to do that. The onus is on me to figure out inside or outside of the industry, how do I get my music to the people who want to hear it? Yeah, I've heard you talk about that before and I find that pretty powerful. The notion of, um, and I'll use my own words, but the notion of deal with the world the way that it is, not the way you wish it were. And that doesn't mean that you don't try to move That's the interesting. And that's interesting because one of my favorite quotes is Hakeem Adabudi. You're exactly right. That's, that's exactly what I just described. Yeah. But Hakeem Adabudi is a poet and a writer and a publisher and, and it's my OG. And essentially he, was, he's, he said that the measure of an artist is not someone who could just tell you how the world is right now, yeah. but could tell you what the world could, could potentially be like. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that even your most emo depressed artist is an optimist at heart. You have to be to create art. Why would you want to put something beautiful in the world unless you had some sort of optimism? Um, and so what I, what I think you said about me was describing me as a tactician or describing my business strategy, but I have to separate that from how I make the art. You know, because if I make the art in that way, the art is going to suffer. Yeah, I, looking at you, and I think the, the reason I was drawn to that comment in you is for me watching you move, and watching your music, there does seem to be a, an awareness of both. An awareness of how to move through the world, how to become independent, how to create your own label, how to be a touring artist, um, not worrying so much about going viral, and to make a pretty extraordinary living, to not have a boss. I mean, there's just a whole lot of incredible things that go along with that. And the first moment in your story where I saw Okay, this is a guy with self-awareness who is making moves, meaning there's cognition behind the choices that he's doing. So ninth grade, you get bounced out of school for basically fucking around as far as I can tell. You find hip hop, you go all in, you're not really worried about school. Your parents send you to a boarding school and the, I think the sort of typical narrative in that is we'll get bounced out of boarding school as well, but you don't. And what was your logic behind, I'm now going to get on a path that's going to take me where I want to go? Um, I don't think I was thinking that far ahead of it. I was, you're correct to say, I was really becoming invested in hip hop in a very, very passionate, almost obsessive way. Before that, I was passionate, obsessed about baseball. And I was a star baseball player in Park Slope, Brooklyn. When I went to boarding school, it was a different level of competition. And I was a new kid there, so I didn't get on the, I had to play JV for a second, which I didn't think I belonged on JV. And then when I got to varsity, I found, you know, I was just, I wasn't treated seriously. It was a, it was a basketball school. There was like seven black kids there, 
six of them that were there to play basketball. I was, I was not there to play basketball. So they didn't really give a shit about the baseball team. And so they didn't, you know, I just wasn't taken seriously as a baseball player and I found myself getting bored and really just wanting to be in my room listening to De La Soul records. And like counting the seconds, like when is baseball practice gonna be over so I can go. And that's when I realized that I really loved hip hop more than baseball at that point in my life. Um, when I got to Cheshire Academy, I excelled at it because it was very easy. So 100 130 kids in the school and academically, I was just, I was, I feel like I was smarter than the teachers. And my cultural experience gave me a leg up on a lot of the students. I, I'm, I'm a kid, black kid from Brooklyn, New York. So I'm like, I'm getting shot at and having rocks thrown at me from local skinheads, but I'm also like the most popular kid in the school, you know what I'm saying? Because I, I know all the new fresh hip hop. You know, so it, it was like, um, I was able, I learned, what I learned in that school was how to maneuver in polite, complicit white society and what my blackness really represented. And I learned that if you make yourself indispensable to the situation, that the rules do not apply to you at all. Because it got to the point where I was captain of the debate club and the Blue Key Society and I ran the yearbook and I, I directed all the plays. So even when I fucked up, Instead of me getting punished the way some of the other white kids would, they would come and have a talk with me, or they would have me see like a black guidance counselor, or you know they were trying to do everything they could to keep me there, because I'd made myself indispensable to the situation. I love that. So how do you advise people to become indispensable? Like how does one learn to do that? That's an interesting question. I, I never thought about how to make yourself indispensable. Um, I guess in hip hop. I've done it by being closest to myself. Naming myself Talib Kweli. Um, my style is loquacious and it's wordy is because when I first started rapping, I was rapping, I was uh, had composition notebooks full of rhymes and I was trying to fit the rhymes to the beats. I learned later how to write to the beat, but my style developed from me trying to fit words where they didn't belong. And there was a lot of early criticism of my rap style. It was like, he's all over the place, he goes off beat, he's too wordy, but that's what made my style unique. Now no one could do it. Mm. Now 20 years later, that style is what helped me to do this. So I, I guess my answer would be get as close to yourself and your self-expression as you can. Offer the world something that is unique to you that no one else has to offer. I think that is arguably the world's best advice. What you're asking people to do though is be insanely brave and insightful. So now as you begin to piece through how you got there, and admittedly like diving into your world, there's one thing about you that I find really interesting. There's just something burning inside of you and sometimes it expresses as this creative, almost epiphany, like for the listener, like hearing you go through this stuff, like the manifesto and, and hearing like how thoughtful you're thinking about things. It, it gives epiphanies and other people. And what I want to know is, how do you develop the bravery to be who you are, to really listen to yourself, but also at the same time, it's clear you've educated the shit out of yourself and your family is so deeply invested into education. So I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I really feel like what makes us unique is not necessarily original thoughts. What makes us unique is our, the way we synthesize information. Mm -hmm. So if you and I read the same 10 books, we're gonna walk away different people. We won't walk away the same person mm -hmm. because we do something different with that information. Most people, um, they want, they're, they're taking in external information so they can assimilate mm -hmm. 
Right. And so I what I want to know is how did you take it in and say, I mean, was there no awareness that this is going to make my life harder by not assimilating? Um, no, I mean, I think it's, um, first it starts in the home. You know, I come from parents who were active in sort of political and activist discussions, and that's why they named me Talib Kweli and they named my brother uh, Jamal Kwame. Um, that in itself is a challenge to society. Um, when I was a younger, young man, like a, a kid, I recall teachers, grown-ass teachers, giving up immediately on my name. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're in, in fifth grade for the first time, and the teacher's reading the names, and, and they get to my name, and my name is T-A-L-I-B. And those are letters in the English alphabet. If you put them together, they form things that you can make sounds with your mouth to say, right? But people are used to only saying things they've seen before. So they see a name and what was looking like an exotic Muslim name to them at the time. And, at, you know, these are people who are paid to educate people or paid to be authorities over children. And all common sense goes out the window. And it's, how do you pronounce this? Todd Billat? But how do you? It's like, at least attempt. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but the idea that we have in black communities that if you name your child a black name or African name or Muslim name is gonna make it harder for them to get a job. Um, this is something that's very prevalent. That's something that I remember my parents getting critiqued for and something I remember people saying to me like, oh, you have a hard name. And that's something that I became very, very aware of very early in my life that, oh, there's something different about how I've been named. And so it's made me move different. I can't be no crackhead named Talib Kweli. You know what I'm saying? Like the name is, it means seeker of truth and knowledge. So just by how my parents named me, set me on a path to wanting to live up to that name. So that's really powerful. So looking at the hip hop game, looking at how much money there is to be made, um, in maybe not necessarily throwing the rock and hiding your hand, but <coughs> certainly in drifting away from who you are naturally. I mean, Jay-Z himself said, I dumbed down for my audience and doubled my dollars. They criticized mm -hmm. me for it, but they all yell holler. Mm -hmm. It's like that, that fucking line resonated with me for sure. As an up and coming yeah. entrepreneur, I was like, fuck yeah. Like at some point you have to take your audience into consideration. Mm -hmm. But then as you get into the space that I'm in now where you're sitting in front of a fucking camera and you're talking about who you are for real, then it's like, oh God, we're getting into waters right. where this shit is not gonna be popular, but it's fucking true. It's like when Russell Simmons says, every billionaire I know is depressed and miserable. You know, um, Jay-Z is a very interesting example because I'm looking at Jay-Z now and Jay-Z has grown out his dreads and maybe wears these fancy bandanas around his head with the dreads. And I look at these pictures of Jay-Z and I'm like, that's exactly how I wore my hair when I was in high school. Jay-Z looks like high school me. And it's interesting to me because I've always said, as a fan of Jay-Z, before he said my name on a record, I was always like, you know, Jay-Z raps the way he raps because he's got to get the fourth quarter profits up for Rockefeller at the end of the, at the, end of the fiscal year. And the other artists ain't going to bring it all in. With all due respect to Beanie Siegel and Memphis Bleak and all these wonderful artists they had, they weren't doing the Jay-Z numbers. So at the end of the day, Jay-Z kind of, for years, had to, had to drop a record just to keep the label popping. And I was like... Man, what is Jay-Z going to rap about when he doesn't have to have the label popping? And the answer is he going to rap about Talib Kweli. And the answer is he going to rap about his baby blue. And the answer is he going to rap about black economics. He's going to rap about how much he's in love with Beyonce. He's going to rap about, he's going to do documentaries about, uh, you know, people who, were, who died in Rikers Island. He going, you know, he going to buy Nipsey Hussle albums. That's, that's who Jay-Z has grown into being. Um, and it's been interesting for me to watch. Jay-Z, though, is the exception to the rule, not the rule. 
the rule is you have to make a choice. The rule is you either be a hustler or you be an artist. The rule is you be a businessman or an artist. Jay-Z is the rare exception that his talents as an artist are equal to his talents as a businessman. Mm. I am not that. You know what I'm saying? I may be, maybe, and it's subjective, but I may be more of a talented artist than Jay-Z. Maybe. I'm damn sure not more of a talented businessman than him. But he, like, his, he's, man, he's so good as a rapper. Like, I don't have, like, he's, he's Jehovah. He's the God MC after Rakim. You know, he's like, Jay-Z is, is, is the, my top five is a revolving door, but Jay-Z always kind of holds a slot in my top five. Um, and as a businessman, it's like equal. Um, but, yeah, I think that's why Jay-Z is such the perfect example for these conversations around business and hip hop. All right, you ready for a thought exercise? Sure. This will be interesting. Um, let's say that you're gonna live forever. You still have to make money though, but you are going to live forever. No two ways about it. Mm -hmm. um, how would that change your life? Like, what would you focus on? Would you reinvent yourself as a hip hop artist and take over that game? Would it be more activism? Like, you, you now don't have to worry about ever running out of time. Well, time is our most precious commodity, right? Um, I think I would walk the earth like Kung Fu. That is a very unexpected answer. I'm super <laughs> fucking intrigued. Why? It seems to me that connecting with other, other human beings is, is true happiness. Um, Asada Shakur talks about in her book, the hardest thing about solitary confinement, which she was in for seven years or so, is not having human touch. And how like the first time she touched someone, out of coming out of solitary confinement, how that feeling was sort of too static uh, uh, you know, to sort of describe is like our connection is like we need each other. We need camaraderie. We need communion. We need to be around and engage with other human beings or else we have no purpose in living. And um, so if I had all the time in the world, man, I feel like I would walk around and get to know communities. I've been blessed to travel the world. I've been to, you know, dozens of countries. Um, most of them I haven't had a chance to see because I'm sh shuttled into a venue where I'm being paid to be in front of people who love to see me. And that experience is all about me. And then I'm shuttled to the next city to have that same experience. So it's not, I'm not seeing these places. Um, the older I get, like I, I tour more than any rapper, but what was starting to happen now as a touring rapper in my 40s is, is when I book gigs, I'll be booking like two, three days in a city. Like I'm trying to book like, uh, you know, if I, now like I, I book a gig and immediately I'm looking at who got the hot tub, who got the, where is it, the resort in the area? Like I'm looking at it as, a, as an excuse to stay at a resort somewhere. Mm. Like that's, that's what I do when I book gigs now because, uh, you know, well staying at a resort is not quite connecting with the people. That's more self-care. Um, but even though I'm staying at the resort, it gives me a chance to be in the city for a few days and I can go and deal with the local people and go and see what the food is like and what the culture is like and, and, and get, get that in my life. And that's, that's sort of where I'm moving to as I become older. That's so fucking interesting. So the notion of human touch is something that I think is really fascinating and way underappreciated for people. Um, I heard somebody just yesterday, damn it, I'm forgetting who said it, uh, but they said, you're so connected, you're disconnected. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, like I get that. Like when, 
The most torturous part about being in solitary confinement is the lack of human touch, which you can very easily take for granted. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that you put your finger on that as something that you would pursue in terms of being in the community. And then I'm not saying I want to go around touching strangers. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I want just to make want sure to be was, the in touch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then the other part sounds like if I had to put it into just a word, experiences. Mm -hmm. um, how do experiences shape you? Well, memories, right? We're we're all, you know, the collection of our memories. We're that's 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 who we are. Um, and the interesting thing about memory is that memory is, is, has, a, has an inherent bias. You're going to remember things not how they were. You're going to remember things sort of your perspective. And your perspective is not always the truth. Mm. You know, it could be maybe your truth. But, you know, um, so we build who we are based on these memories. People identify by the music they listened to when they were in high school or college because that's when they were developing who they were. So in high school and college, I was, you know, I was a Nas guy. I used to ride the train in high school and I would see somebody with like Nikes and baggy jeans on and like a Tommy Hilfiger sweater. And immediately I'm making a spiritual connection with that person. Cause I'm like, I'm that guy, I'm, I'm like that guy. That guy probably likes the Fushnikins. And I like the Fushnikins and that's who I am. That's, that's who I am. And that becomes your identity. And what happens is you remember that time as when you, as when you were, developing into who you were. So you become an adult and you get to my age and you'd be like, man, nothing was better than the 90s. Nothing was better than Tropical Quest and, and the music and man, the way these kids are dressing with these tight jeans and man, nothing was better than how we dress. And that stuff becomes, you know, rose. It, be, it looks rose through your rose-colored glasses. And you, you start to forget that Mob Deep's music was hyper-violent. And Biggie was super violent and super misogynistic because in your rose-colored nostalgia glasses, that's real. That's old-school hip-hop, and they talked about positive stuff. Which is crazy. It really is crazy how much we're a product of our time mm -hmm. as much as our environment. And like you said, there's, there's something going on in the brain. When you were talking about memories, I, I think that that's um, something that is ill-understood with people. And when you really start looking at the research and seeing how... Memories are, are stored, but when you access them, you pull them out into working memory. They are manipulated while they're there. The things that your current mood or whatever is you're looking at that memory, then change it. And so when you put away the memory, it's, right. it's fundamentally altered. It's a living thing. Yeah, exactly. Well said. And so as you were talking about that, I thought, ooh, I wonder what word in your own life you would find um, more interesting, maybe the right way to say it, which one you move towards more, evolution or reinvention? Like which one of those, when you think about yourself, mm -hmm. which one do you either aspire to or naturally move towards? I like both, but I, I, I would move towards reinvention only because of sort of the cultural uh, sort of ramifications of evolution. Uh, you know, race is a social construct and the race dropped into the conversation. You know, evolution and that type of science has been used to justify racist biases. So even though I like to think that I evolve and I think people do evolve, I, if you had to ask me to choose between, I would choose reinvention. So as you think about that and going back to you're now living forever, mm -hmm. how would you conceptualize that reinvention? Are you, as you travel the world and you're encountering all these people and forming new memories and bonds and, and being influenced by the lives that touch you as well as the lives that you touch, um, is there directionality to that? Like, is there 
Is there like a, if I think about a, a Buddhist or somebody who's really committed to meditating, mm -hmm. they're, they're really trying to get beyond the trappings of I, 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 right? And that seems to be, and I know that I'm oversimplifying, but that seems to be sort of the end of a lot of Western traditions mm -hmm. is once you realize the self is an illusion, then you step into something new. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's an interesting sort of end goal. Is there something like that that you have in mind, whether as you talked earlier about getting power, is it power to elevate to equality? Like what's that sort of, mm -hmm. um, uh, I know that calling it an end state will maybe change how you think about it, um, but is there sort of a higher calling to step into? I mean, I think that that's it. I've, I've had situations in my life recently where I've had to question myself and, and, dis, and arguments and debates I'm having with people. And I'm like, am I making this about myself or am I making it about the work and the point I'm trying to make? And how much of my, how much of, how much of my ego should I let go? And how much of my time, which you were talking about earlier, do I reclaim? Um, because as someone who's, who's achieved what I've achieved, sometimes when people argue with me or when I debate people, uh, and I'm not talking about people like you, who I have, there's a mutual respect going back and forth, but I'm talking about people who just don't respect me. Um, you know, they'd be like, you know, people will be like, well, humble yourself. And, you, and it's like, you're not owed my humility. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not me because you are uncomfortable with how mediocre you've been, you know, and I have to own that. I, I you know, there's, I have to own who I am, but how do I find the humility and, and give it up to if, if God is your thing or if just the universe is your thing, whatever it is, give it up to sort of the higher spiritual purpose, um, but still reclaim my time and still stand on my, my square. Mm -hmm. um, that's been the conflict of where I'm going to go because I'm moving out the space of I can't everything that I did that I, because I was young, I can, I can no longer be like, I'm just a young man. You know, I'm, I'm not a young man. I'm youngish, I would like to think, you know, but I'm, I'm now at the age where I have to be the leader that I'm looking for. You know, when, at family events, when you're at this age, you look around and the older people are, are passing away, you look around like, oh no, I gotta plan a family reunion now. And so, um, you know, I just, I think that that's the, um, you know, when, when you go back to where we, you know, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, like the knowledge is, I had, when I was working in the bookstore, I had access to the knowledge. I'm looking around, I'm seeing all the books. I'm taking in all the knowledge. And knowledge is making me say things like, you know, uh, fuck voting. And knowledge is making me say things like, um, you know, whatever, like things that I've, that I've evolved on. But then you have the wisdom that comes next and you start to apply the knowledge properly. And the wisdom is when you start seeing me changing my career. It's like, I have this knowledge about how the music business is, but then I have a wisdom um, to know to have to, I have to start my own label. And then the things I've learned from that, now I'm starting to approach the understanding. And the, I guess the understanding is moving away from yourself. What is it that I, that I have to contribute to the society? Um, who is it that I'm looking at? Who's before me? Like the Harry, Harry Belafonte's? Who's after me? Like the Nipsey Hussles? You know, where, where am I in that? And that's where, really where I'm looking at. Yeah, that's uh, the, the evolution of the culture, the evolution of the individual. That stuff to me is, is really, really interesting. And I think you've been a powerful voice for um, the individual needing to take responsibility for their own evolution. You're certainly a very active voice in um, shaping the culture, both as a talent and as a, 
I don't know, sort of the wise guidance, you know, as you talk about wandering the earth like Cain, it's, you know, Cain <laughs> was both the student and the teacher. And right. I think that that's something that's super, super interesting. What is something that you hope people take away from the way that you move through the world? Whether that's you down in Ferguson and saying, I'm not just gonna fucking tweet about it. I'm gonna roll up, I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna be a voice that challenges. I'm gonna be a voice that reflects truth. Like, what do you hope people learn from all of that and, and will hopefully do as that up and coming generation? Well, I think it's what you said before um, about getting to the point where it's about the work and it's not about you. Activism is about, for me personally, food, clothes, and shelter on the ground. What do the people need? Because we're not gonna solve racism with heady academic conversations. We're not gonna solve the world's problems with these nice lights and this camera and this wonderful, wonderful interview. You know, we're blessed and privileged to even be here. Um, but we have, to, we have to use these platforms to, to sort of shine the light on the people who do the sort of food, clothing, shelter work. And if I could be that, because I, I, don't, I don't come from poverty. I grew up in Brooklyn, I didn't grow up rich, but I didn't grow up, I never had to use food stamps. I didn't, you know, it wasn't, I didn't come from that. I come from a very sort of privileged academic background. Well, if that's where I come from, how do I use that platform to uplift the people who didn't have uh, the opportunities that I was pr presented and provided with. And I think that's what I've, what I've tried to do. I think that's why I gravitated toward his, towards hip hop. I realized that my writing skill and my access to knowledge was because of the parents that I was blessed to be born to. Early in my life, I saw that hip hop was poetry. And I was like, this is how I can connect to the culture. Because I was like a black nerd. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a lot of black friends when I was a little kid. Not until I started rapping in junior high school. That was like my introduction to black culture. All my friends was, was, was I was living in Park Slope around a bunch of Dominican and Puerto Rican kids and a bunch of white kids. And um, sort of like how Don, uh, Donald Glover was on Community. It was like, fuck this noise. I'm going to write the blackest show I could write because black people don't know who I am. And then I'm going to make the blackest song I can make. And I'm going to tell them to stay woke because I want a black audience. That's how I was in, in junior high school. Yeah, it's interesting how you had a lot of self-awareness at that time to understand hip hop, to dive so deeply into that world, to let it really begin to influence you. Then you go off track then you get back on track and, and do it in a much more conscious way. Um, that is really interesting. What are some lessons that like they say, a fool never learns, a smart man learns from his mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. What are some of the missteps that you feel you went down that if people could learn from, they could avoid those mistakes? Um, I feel like at the height of my career, I should have been braver and gone independent sooner. Okay. You know, I come from sort of um, an indie community, um, LP from Company Flow and now Run The Jewels, um, was an early influence on me as an artist, and he continues to be. He's somebody who has always found a way from official recordings to deaf jucks to run the jewels, to carve out a space for him to do what he wants to do professionally and never, ever bow to the system. And this is a guy that I have a huge amount of respect for. Um, but even though I knew people like that, I believed the hype or I didn't necessarily believe the hype. I wanted to believe the hype. Because, you know, like you said, I didn't start out as wanting to be a conscious artist. I, want, I started out wanting to be LL Cool J, you know, or be, I wanted to be just a rapper. Like, it wasn't like I'm, you know, I, I wanted to be the best rapper. Um, I didn't want to be the best conscious rapper. Um, I wanted to have a song on the radio and have a hit. That's what I wanted when I was a kid. Um, at the height of that, if I had made some independent moves at that height, I would have been looked at the people, my contemporaries like LP or Tech 9 or certain other people, um, 
you know, that would be a, a regret. I, 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 this is a hard question because I, I try not to have any regrets. Mm. I, I, I don't live by that. Do I you have a philosophical stance about not regretting things because it made you who you are? I do. I kind of do. But I, I guess re regret is not the word. Um, yeah, that's even a hard question to ask because I wish, I regret, nah, I, this is who, who I am. But we were talking about ifs earlier. You were talking about if you live forever. So when this hypothetical world, we have the luxury and the privilege to discuss things hypothetically, in this hypothetical world, if I could go back, it's not a regret, but if I could go back, I would go independent quicker. If you were going to write down a playbook, and I know you are working on a book, but it, it, I do is have a book. more memoir? Yes, memoir. Okay, so if you were going to write the playbook for people coming up behind you about how to become yourself, I think is the most interesting way to ask it. So not necessarily just how to become a legend in hip-hop, but um, what path should people walk if they want to discover and define who they're going to become? Well, I think it's about your definition of success. And in this capitalist system, and in a system where whoever has the most toys wins, the, our definition of success too often is whoever has the most toys wins, whoever is the most popping wins, whoever is, has the most likes on Instagram wins. And I think we have to change our definition of success. For me, success is doing what you love for a living. It doesn't mean you're rich. It doesn't mean you're famous. It doesn't mean you'll never struggle again. It just means doing what you love for a living. And if that's the metric, then that's how you get successful. And the closer you get to doing what you love or being yourself for a living, the more successful you get. They wrote a book about it a few years ago called The Secret. And they sold it and they sold millions and millions of copies of this book. And if you read the book, it was basically like, do what you love for a living. And I'm like, that shouldn't be a secret. Yeah, it shouldn't be a secret. So why do you think it is? Why do you think that so few people are able to do that? Well, because the game is to be sold, not to be told. And there's money to be made in keeping information away from people. That's interesting. So how do people growing up in that system, how do they buck out of it? Is it uh, there are certain Google searches they should be doing, going to a website? You have a lot of books on your website. I'm guessing those are highly curated. Yes. Like, is it is it stuff like that? Finding somebody like you who's a curator of not only culture, but wisdom, knowledge, perspective. Finding somebody like that, latching on and sort of going through the mm -hmm. reps. Yeah, I think it's about that. It's really about understanding your values, though. I think a lot of people, especially in the social media era, don't really understand what it is they're about. People respond emotionally to things that make them feel good. Um, and so I don't think people are vetting the information that they're getting in online spaces. And, and I, I speak specifically to online spaces because this is where we're spending the vast majority of our time. If we're not on Instagram or Twitter or, or Facebook, we are ordering Ubers or ordering Grubhub or you know whatever, what have you. We're buying things on Kayak and Airbnb and we're, on, we're ordering drones from Amazon or bringing us things. Like We're online, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'd be interested to know what percentage of time people in a developed nation spend on the internet. I don't consider myself an internet person. I spend an inordinate amount of time online, me personally. And I'm someone who, I have made moves in the real world. I can't even imagine people who just sit behind a keyboard and that's all their, you know, that's, that's their, they're like ready player one. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I feel like we're, we're closer to that than, than we even could imagine. So speaking to your, um, the way that you move on Twitter. So you, people have told you a thousand times, don't debate the trolls, mm -hmm. but um, you have a <coughs> pretty interesting stance on that. Mm -hmm. Why do you push back so hard on trolls? Um, the idea that, a troll 
is not racist or not as dangerous because they're designated as troll is foolish and very dangerous. And since when are trolls virtuous? Like since when is like, I mean, from what everything I know about trolls, I mean, I read a little token, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, I, trolls seem like things that you shouldn't want to be. So you, you, you say, oh, that's not a racist, that's just a troll. How's that better? You say, what, what kind of society are we trying to be a part of if we're saying that it's okay for you to intentionally want to be a deceitful person in order to try to make people feel bad? Because that's essentially what a troll on the internet is doing, right? How are we justifying this? How are we, oh, because they play video games? Like, well, I don't understand, like, how is that now a thing that we now have to accept as if they're some sort of marginalized group? Um, but to your point, um, I'm not speaking to them. I'm speaking through them. I come from teachers and these people who come at me become my lesson plan. I use them to expose the mentality. I use them to speak my truth and direct traffic to my website. Here's my show. If you have something to say, come to my show. Direct traffic to my bookstore. Here's, here's a book that I'm selling that's about the situation. Um, but ultimately, to push back, not on an individual troll, but to push back on their messaging. Um, Nelson Mandela said, fools multiply when wise men uh, ignore. And I live by that. Um, you know, or the old adage that, you know, a lie can run around the world three times before the truth wakes up to put on his tie shoes. Um, these are not uh, phrases that come out of nowhere. So when someone says that the guy who murdered five police officers in Dallas is a member of Black Lives Matter and that proves that Black Lives Matter is a violent organization. And I see that comment on my feed and I see it because they'll say it at me. I'm not out here looking for people. They'll be like, at Talib Kweli, Black Lives Matter is a violent organization. Because if I see that and I ignore it on some, that's just a racist troll. I'll just ignore them and racism will go away because if you ignore cancer, it's gonna go away clearly. If I do that, I am failing humanity. If I know better and I don't do better, I am a failure to humanity. I am not doing what I was raised to do. I am not doing my duty as a man, as a father, as a citizen, nothing. I'm just fucking failing. And I can't live by that. I don't expect everybody to be me. I know that that comes from me, my unique perspective. Some people see a comment like that and it's stressful and it triggers them. They'd be like, I don't even want to involve myself in that toxic energy because then I'm going to be arguing with the person and then it's going to bring my life. That must be waste time that I could have been doing something more productive and then it's going to bring my energy down and now as an energy vulture and now I've given that person my platform. I'm not, I have respect for that. I have respect for that, but you better be doing activist work. You better be doing something else if you're not going to be on Twitter. I have respect for it. What I don't respect is you telling me while you don't do shit that I shouldn't be doing shit. I don't respect people who be like, Kwali, you know what you need to do. Stay black and die, that's it. I don't need to do shit, you say. You know what I'm saying? Kwali, like, you know what you should. Oh, I should? Okay, well maybe you're an activist that's done activist work that I need to be paying attention to and respecting because you're giving me unsolicited advice. So share your activism work with me. And when I do that, people are like, you know what? You're, you just say everyone's a Nazi and then it did, okay, now your whole facade is gone because I asked you a simple, all I asked you was to show me the work you do so I could see how I could be working better. But that's not what you came here to do. You came here to tell me to shut the fuck up. 
that's really the end goal of what you came to do. And so we're, we're socialized as a, as, a, as, a, as a society to place politeness over justice, to place being polite and being silent over being correct. How many videos have you seen of some crazy white racist person in Walmart yelling racist shit at someone and there's someone around there taping it and everyone else is like, nah, everybody in that fucking situation. That, that devil should be shamed until they walk out of there. You know what I'm saying? Like how, how we have so many examples of our society is so polite. I don't value politeness like that because that whole polite etiquette shit, that comes from some colonial shit that has nothing to do with community and like fuck that respectability polite shit like you and me i'm not being polite to you i'm being respectful to you you know what i'm saying that's a difference you've you've earned my respect you deserve my respect uh, on as a basic human being you deserve my respect you know until you give me a reason to be like i'll fuck with you but just on a basic level you know but it's not about politeness because that's just a, some hierarchy shit that's some use this spoon and this fork type shit it's very clear that you have really strong values, which I think is really incredible. You started by saying that a lot of people don't know their values, which is utterly fascinating to me. And then you also said that people with knowledge have an obligation to share that knowledge with people who don't have it. So as somebody who has this really amazingly clear value system, mm -hmm. how can people build that value system? Because I really, really, really believe if people took control of their values, created them intentionally, understood that they are something that you create, mm -hmm. whether by accident, whether because you grew up in a shitty family with shitty values mm -hmm. or a city, whatever, but ultimately now you're a grown ass person, it's time for you to assess your values, make them intentional. Like how do people go about that process? And quite frankly, what values do you think are universal? Well, I think that's what it is. What are the universal values? What are, what are the basic values? What's, 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 I think basic human rights is a good jumping off point. You know, just knowing just everyone deserves life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everyone deserves basic amount of respect. And I don't know the exact UN human, basic human rights, but just basic human rights, just tolerance of other human beings. Um, compassionate, compassion is very important to me. Um, what's, what is your end goal? What is your value? Is it a religious thing? Are you trying to be the best Christian? Are you trying to be the best Muslim? Are you trying to be the best Jewish person? Are you trying to be the best conservative, liberal? Are you trying to be the best Democrat, Republican? What is it that you're trying to be the best at? And for me, I'm trying to be as compassionate as humanly possible. I respect that. Tell people where they can find out more about you, which there are a lot of places. But give them your favorites. <laughs> oh man, I'm just really out here though. Um, now I'm just I'm on social media. I'm, I'm easy to find. It's my, my name is my name on there, and um, I tour a lot. And I'm I'm out. I'm just out here, just walking these streets like Kane and Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, you are. All right. If you were going to focus all of your time and attention on having tremendous impact in the world, what impact would you want to have? Um, I want people to just be as close to their, to their truth as possible. I want people to be, art to me is, the, is true honesty. And I think trying to get towards honesty is where I want people to be. Um, I'm able to like hip hop that's not conscious when I see the honesty in it. When I see the honesty in Gucci Mane, when I see the honesty in Eminem, 
which are you know two very opposite sort of hip hop artists. Neither one of them make music like I make, and I don't make music like either one of them. I made songs with Gucci. I've never made songs with Eminem. Um, but to me, it's really about that honest expression, and um, that's really what my focus has been for 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 what I've tried to impart in my music. Mm, I love that. Talib, thank you so much for coming thank on the you. show, man. That was incredible. Thank Guys, you do me. yourself a favor. Listen to his music first and foremost. You want to talk about somebody who really knows how to express themselves. It is absolutely extraordinary. And then watch how he moves through this world, especially as he goes into his phase as Kane walking the earth, learning <laughs> and educating. It will be amazing. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.